You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, your host. I've got uh, Jordan Raymer, CEO of EV Connect, on the program today. Uh, welcome to the program, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Matt. It's a real pleasure. Okay, well, tell us a, a little bit about uh, your background and what brought you to EV Connect and, and what does EV Connect do? Yeah, so my, my background, I've been, I guess, what you would now call a, a climate tech entrepreneur for, for going on 20 years now. Uh, and really f- started, I'd say, in the uh, late 1990s, started to see and, and believe that there was a, a really an issue with climate change uh, and wanted to be part of a solution uh, to it. And so that, that personal interest and passion led me to a, a career, uh, also combining something that I was very interested in, which was technology and, and trying to put those two together to come up with solutions to the challenge that, that I felt the world was, was facing and will continue to face. And so I, uh, I started working at a company called AeroVironment in around 2000, uh, which, was, which was addressing a lot of things related to what we will now call climate tech. One of the things that it had done was to build a fast charger for uh, off-road electric vehicles. Uh, at the time, about half of off-road electric vehicles were, uh, uh, or half of elect- uh, off-road vehicles were electric. And, and so uh, they needed to be charged, but the concept of fast charging was, was quite new. And so um, I was very involved in getting that product launched and managing it. And uh, through that, you know, seven or eight year period helping to get that business going, uh, I noticed that there were a lot of challenges with the charging infrastructure and supporting these vehicles. And so one of the key challenges was uh, uptime, making sure that they worked for customers, um, the user experience for drivers and, and other parts of the ecosystem. And and so that, that sort of planted the seed for me, you know, fast forward uh, to 2009, which really began the the origin story for EV Connect, um, you know, Tesla had the Roadster in the market. Nissan had announced the Leaf, and and GM had announced the Chevy Volt, and and I knew that charging infrastructure was going to be a challenge, not only for the deployment of it, but also the ongoing support, uh, user experience, and and uptime. And so I decided uh, that was the the opportunity, and got EV Connect going in late two thousand nine. Okay. Well, uh, for those of us who have had electric vehicles, I had a Tesla there in 2015, 2018, before I switched to hydrogen. Uh, you know, I, I recall the days when chargers were uh, less common, but it, it, it always seemed like there were chargers potentially available, but they sometimes were paying the neck to deal with. Uh, so how have they gotten better uh, in that period of time? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are involved in making them better and or even just producing them. I think the two key components that that are involved is when you think about charging infrastructure is one is the actual physical hardware. Uh, you know, that's the thing that as a driver, you know, Matt, you're you're used to using and you're seeing and you're connecting your your car into. Uh, and then the other part of it that's that's often kind of the unsung hero in, in my experience um, is the is the, the software that makes the overall charging experience happen 
um, which happens behind the scene. It's the things that power the, the driver's mobile app, or if you're in a Tesla, the interface to your, uh, through your, your vehicle. Um, it's the things that help manage the, the building's load um, from an electricity standpoint or the grid. Uh, it's the things that enable the driver to pay for it, as well as the people that own the infrastructure to monetize it. And so that's the stuff that EV Connect does. And that's the part that I think has really improved and created an opportunity for what I see is the industry to cross a chasm, right? Um, you know, in the, in the days of, you know, from up until say 2015, 16, um, a lot of the charging infrastructure that was deployed was non-smart, Right. It was uh, or non-networked where it was just a charging station that you'd go up to, you'd plug in and you could charge your car. Uh, but the reality is you, you didn't know when it was available. Uh, you didn't know um, you didn't know if it worked. Uh, you didn't know where it was all the time. You had to have road signs. Uh, you know, you didn't uh, you, the, the people that that paid to put the infrastructure in place had no way of monetizing it, um, getting a return on investment. Um, supporting drivers, you know, all of those things that go along with that. And so I think that's the the key piece that's really changed over the last seven years and has gotten incrementally better. There's still lots of challenges. Um, and, and, you know, we're as an industry and EV Connect in particular is working toward making it those that better. Uh, but I think that's really the crux of what has improved over the last, you know, say seven years. Well, so currently, is there an app that kind of connects a driver to where exactly they can get a charge and, and uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, the pricing of the charging? And That's and right. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, EV Connect has an app um, and it enables the driver to do just ex exactly what you described. Um, you know, some of the things around locations and finding charging um, can also be found through some of the vehicle manufacturers' interfaces. Uh, you know, you mentioned Tesla, GM has their own as well. So that that's part of the equation. Uh, but there, there's also more, much more to it, right? There's the uh, in the app, there's the ability to uh, pay for the charging. Um, you know, be able to see the reviews of the performance of that charger. Um, in, in certain cases, you know, even being able to um, reserve spots, um, you know, get notifications about starting charges and, and finishing charging sessions, uh, get receipts for what you're, you've paid. You know, so there's, there's a lot more to it that, uh, you know, a mobile app can, can address to improve that user experience. The, the best analogy that I think about is it's kind of the difference between, you know, the somewhat more analog experience of driving in a taxi where there's a, you know, a meter where you, you know, the, the driver pushes the button, uh, you, you finish your ride, they push the button again on the meter and you pay in cash uh, for that meter usage versus say, um, you know, an Uber or a Lyft experience where everything is done within that app and, and it obviously enhances a lot of the overall experience. So where is it going next? What's the what's the next uh, chasm that needs to be bridged in order to kind of make electrical vehicles a, a more viable option for the average driver? 
Yeah, you know, so you, you, Matt, you you probably know this, but you know the the U.S. now hit a pretty big milestone. Uh, you know, over I think five percent, but more like six percent of EV sale of of all of sales are EVs um, now, and and that's that's growing for for all sorts of reasons. And so there there we're definitely at that point, and I think you know in the more experts you speak with, the more they will continue to agree that we are at that point of crossing the chasm. Um, drivers are getting, and consumers who are buying cars are, are getting more and more comfortable with this idea of driving an electric vehicle. Um, but it is different, right? Their charging is different. Um, and the overall technology in cars in general is different and has improved. And so drivers are still adjusting um, to those things. And I, I would say that the, the, the most important piece is what I was describing is getting, um, I'd say it's really two things. One is that overall experience that I mentioned and improving that so that it's as simple as, you know, grandma can buy an EV and, and they're, not going to even have an issue, um, you know, fueling it and, and, and driving it. And then the other is, I think, getting more charging infrastructure deployed. Um, that that um, there's, there's about 60,000 charging stations, uh, and, and that's, that's actual like locations for charging stations uh, throughout the U.S. Um, most experts agree we, we need millions of charging stations. Uh, to support the number of vehicles that will be coming onto our roads over the next few years. So it's, um, I, I'd say, it, you know, at the end of the day, one is getting more charging infrastructure deployed, and then at the same time, making sure that the user experience um, of the usage of those stations is uh, absolutely fantastic. So in terms of uh, these charging stations, uh, how do you, how do you envision it becoming effective for lower income or middle income people to be owning electric vehicles, say, particularly if they don't uh, own their own home or they're living in a place where they can't have a charging station? Uh, it's kind of challenging to, uh, to, to take a half an hour or more to, to charge a vehicle. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a few things. So, you know, one is there's, there's certainly uh, quite a big effort to deploy charging infrastructure in multifamily uh, environments. And, and we're certainly seeing a lot of incentives uh, around doing that. Um, but even short of, of charging specifically at the, the home location where, you know, a good percentage of the population, I think it's upwards of 50% of the U S population lives in a multifamily dwelling, um, you know, that's, that's really, um, you know, it also comes down to public fast charging, you know, much like a gas station and, and public fast charging can happen in, you know, five to 10 minutes, um, not terribly different than, than a gas station style charging infrastructure. And I know there's lots of companies like BP and 7-Eleven and others that, um, we work with quite closely that are deploying charging infrastructure in kind of fast charging style, convenience store style uh, use cases. Well, Jordan, uh, 
pleasure to you know get this insight uh, you're listening to a climate change this is matt matter and your host and i've got jordan raymer on the program jordan ceo of ev connect we're going to be right back in just one minute to uh, talk to jordan some more listen to a climate change this is matt matter your host i've got jordan raymer ceo of ev connect on the on the program jordan we were just talking about uh, all the charging stations that are going to be needed over the you know coming years um you know i guess i'm wondering who uh is going to be kind of making the money from this is this going to be a diffuse group of the equivalent of gas station owners uh that are all going to have their uh, fingers in this, or are there going to be some big players that uh, dominate the market for charging stations going forward? Yeah, you know, when the way I think about it, Matt, it's a great question. I, you know, for the last hundred years, we've grown accustomed as a, as a global population to fueling vehicles in a very centralized way, uh, which we call the gas station, right? And the gas station really grew out of um, a lot of the limitations of petroleum-based fuels, they're either liquid or they're a gas, and they need to be trucked in, kept in tanks, pumped underground, they need to be contained. Um, there's a lot of infrastructure that's required to maintain a gas station and, and distribute the, the fuel that gets delivered through the gas station. And so that's why it's been decent, it's been centralized for, for 100 plus years. And so the thing that I think it makes electricity as a fuel so interesting is that it can be completely decentralized. And it can be completely decentralized because in many respects, electricity is completely decentralized. I'm sure wherever you're, you're sitting today and I'm sitting and, and there are a lot of our listeners are, there's an outlet near them, right? Um, and or, or even in their cars, there's an ability to get electricity from their cars if they're sitting in their car today. And so the reality is that now um, electricity as a fuel can be completely decentralized and democratized in many respects. And so I think what that does is it creates a whole new class of um, infrastructure owner uh, and fueling provider. And so that's a lot of what EV Connect has been doing for the last you know, 12 plus years. It's working with this new class of fueling provider um, and, and that crosses all sorts of new industries. Everything from, you know, the hotel that has historically provided, you know, beds and rooms for people to sleep and restaurants for people to eat now can become a fueling location for their guests. It can also be a, a workplace where, you know, historically, it, you, you know, you might have provided um, uh, an office with, uh, with coffee and, and maybe bathrooms, but now you're providing uh, fuel. And, and it can go on, and my examples can go on and on, including schools and, and municipalities and, and all sorts of other providers. And so I think that's where we believe um, the new owners and providers of this fueling infrastructure will come about. The reality, though, is that the business models are very different. Um, each of those use cases that I described and many of the other ones uh, and, and types of users uh, or providers of fuel are um, looking for different ways to pay for their investments. And 
and so that's in, in large part where a lot of the, the software that we provide and the user experience that we provide um, comes into play because sometimes customers decide that they're going to give the fuel away for free just to get people to the location. Others decide that they want uh, only to provide it to certain you know guests that are staying at their hotel, for example. Um, and so it's it's a whole different um, you know it's just a whole different uh, kind of way of thinking about the um, how fuel is de- delivered, who's doing the delivery, and where it's happening. Uh, today. Well, I guess I'd ask uh, kind of how does your firm or firms like your firm kind of monetize this opportunity if say a hotel is giving away the electricity to its guests, uh, where's the uh, margin for your firm in that uh, equation? Yeah, good question. Yeah. So a lot of it is not about, um, you know, a lot of it is not about the um the delivery of the electricity. A lot of it is just about the service too, right? Historically with a gas station, you know, we've grown used to like, it's all about that transaction of the fuel. Um, but now when you start to connect um, the fuel to uh, more distributed and decentralized fueling locations, the, the fuel gets much more connected to what those locations are doing. Uh, I like to pick on the hotel example, so I will. And that's that, you know, a hotel is incentive may not be to you know make money selling electricity uh, as a fuel. It may very well be try to maximize the occupancy of its hotel, and and or it might be you know selling more entrees within the restaurant. Um, and so to do that, it they might decide that we're going to um, you know provide this service and give away the electricity. So for us, our model as a business for EV Connect is we're a, a technology solution and service provider to these parties who are then using the fuel and distributing their fuel to drivers. And the business model, their business models um, is, are really up to them. We provide the tools and capabilities for them to deliver the business model that makes the most sense for their location, their industry, and their um, intentions for their customers. Do you see uh, a number of businesses that are going into uh, the distribution of electric power to uh, to cars as a, uh, a money making opportunity? Like that's that's their sole thing. It's not a hotel. They're they're putting up stations purely to uh, to make profit. Yeah, yeah. So there are some. Uh, for sure, there, there's a, there's a, it's, it's typically more on the fast charging uh, side. So, you know, if you kind of think about it, the charging at a hotel or at a workplace, or you know, usually like a government municipal parking lot uh, or school, tends to be you know slower charging where you're you're doing it during the course of a day or overnight, um, and it's it's slower charging. Usually, the business models there are much more connected to the location. When you start getting into fast charging which is much more, you know, we'll call it quote unquote gas station style fueling where charging times are 10, 20 minutes to fill up the majority of the battery. Um, that's when you start to see some of the like EV Connects customers like BP and 7-Eleven and some of these other, um, you know, larger players that are looking to um, really build businesses around 
the distribution of electricity as a fuel. And so, yes, we're seeing that. We're seeing that with other convenience store operators, other gas station operators, uh, and then also, you know, what I would call pure play EV charging companies uh, like uh, EVgo that that have built, you know, dedicated charging locations. We call them charging hubs or are using shared locations within gas stations to put charging locations uh, for EVs. And, and their business models are much more akin to the, um, you know, they're much more akin to the, the business models of, say, a gas station or a convenience store where you're spending a few minutes of time, you're filling up and you're spending, you know, a decent amount of money, not only at that convenience store or location, but also for the fuel that you're buying. So uh, what partnerships uh, is EV Connect, your company, uh, forging uh, with other with other players in this industry. Yeah, I mean it, it crosses so many different sectors, but it's a, it's a great question, Matt. And I think we're going to see more and more of this happening. I mean, one we're working with automakers, so you know companies like um, you know General Motors, where um, you know we're working with them to improve the user experience and deploy charging at their dealerships. To um, we're working with and, and integrating into their their vehicle systems. Um, we're working with payment systems. So you know companies like Apple Pay and and other you know, Visa, Mastercard type payment uh, solutions. So that there's you know, a whole spectrum of ways for drivers to pay for charging. There we're working with um, many of the mapping and location based services like Google Maps. So that wherever Google Maps is powering a location, um, you know, we can deliver and tell the driver where they can go and, you know, exactly where it is, what the location looks like, um, you know, perhaps the hours and the, the costs of using that charging infrastructure. We're working with utilities um, across the country to, uh, you know, use it for grid services. So instead of the utility building more power plants or you know, expanding their infrastructure to deliver more electricity as a fuel, we can use our technology to help them to manage their grid uh, as it relates to electricity as a fuel. And so that's another area that we're we're working with very closely. We're working with finance providers to provide financing solutions. So this whole new, you know, going back to what I was saying about decentralization, but it's also democratization right now. All these new people can be fueling providers. They need financing. Um, and then of course, we're working with all of the hardware providers. Most of the major hardware manufacturers globally um, we're working with in some capacity to be able to control and manage their charging infrastructure to deliver the types of services that, um, you know, that I mentioned before. So it's, um, I th I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a few, but, but it's, it's a pretty comprehensive ecosystem and we're right in the middle of it with EV Connect. And it's, it's pretty exciting as a software platform to be able to bring together all of these parties. Well, it is a, a complex web of, uh, pieces that you need to put together to make this whole new network uh, work. Well, uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Jordan Raymer on the program, CEO of EV Connect, and we'll be right back to talk to Jordan about uh, a 
technological wave that is hitting the U.S. and the entire planet. You're listening to a climate change. This is Matt Mattern, your host. I've got Jordan Raymer, CEO of EV Connect, on the program. And Jordan, we're talking about uh, how uh, this technology is built, being built out across the country, and really obliterating, or in part, uh, the whole network that's uh, been a part of the country's fabric for a hundred plus years. The gas station to creating a new powering stations uh all over the country to power this uh new wave of electric vehicles which is only going to increase um and i guess i would ask you like what are the barriers and incentives that uh, you see that are out there both barriers and incentives to making this change possible and and workable yeah, you know, I think one of the things talking about the incentives is, you know, the, the, the I'd say it puts it into two big chunks. One is government incentives and other is utility incentives. You know, in the the federal government has been largely absent until recently in in supporting charging infrastructure and 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 to some extent even EVs. Um and you know, until recently with the infrastructure bill that was passed uh, the bipartisan bill about a, you know, I'd say it was about a year ago now, um, that put a pretty big emphasis on deploying charging infrastructure and is, has given the various states an opportunity to build out uh, fast charging networks in their, their areas. And so I think that's, that's going to be a huge uh, opportunity to put more charging infrastructure in place, as I talked about earlier. Um, and then also, you know, the, the federal government has set standards and expectations for how um, that infrastructure is supposed to perform. And I think that's going to really create an opportunity for the industry to coalesce around a, a certain set of, of standards um, that, it, they, you know, we are expected to operate under. So, you know, that that's one piece uh, at the federal government level, the state governments, you know, especially, you know, states in the Northeast and in the West Coast, um, you know, have built pretty substantial programs to uh, you know, help facilitate the deployment of charging infrastructure. And so there are incentives there that help bring down the capital cost for this new class of fueling provider to own and provide charging infrastructure and electricity as a fuel. Uh, and then further, um, they've also also put in incentives to help reduce the operating expenditures associated with electricity as a fuel. And, and some of that comes down to California and Oregon's low carbon fuel standard program. Uh, it looks like Washington is going to approve a program like that, uh, as well as, you know, uh, I think the entire country of Canada just recently approved a low carbon fuel standard program as well. So th there, there's quite a bit of incentives at the government level. Uh, the other key piece of the incentive puzzle is utilities and utility programs that are typically rate based. So um, utilities, utility, uh, utility commission is helping or giving the utilities an opportunity to 
invest in charging infrastructure for the utilities within their their territories. And so the utilities have been building programs to help their customers go electric with uh, transportation. And there's lots of pretty amazing programs out there that EV Connect in particular, you know, we've been working with the utilities for many years um, to make those programs available to our customers, um, make sure that they um, are effective and, and ultimately uh, efficiently roll out charging infrastructure. And, you know, we're now well over, you know, 60,000 locations uh, and probably a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand, um, you know, actual charging stations that have been deployed across the U.S. and and a lot of that is with been with utility incentive money. So, um, lots of how good many, incentives. How many of those sixty thousand are are individuals who have charging stations, or are those all sixty thousand commercial stations? Yeah, good question. I know I'm I'm talking all commercial. Yeah, if you started adding. Uh, residential locations, it would be substantially more than that. Yeah. So everyone who's charging at their homes is a, another note. I'm talking about more publicly available locations. So what was this uh, low carbon fuel standard that you were saying that uh, the Western states and now potentially Canada are adopting? Yeah. So the low carbon fuel standard is, uh, you know, in, in a very simple way, uh, a way to, um, uh, put the onus on uh, essentially those that distribute high carbon fuel. Um, so think, you know, the, the oil and gas industry. And so if you want to produce and distribute um, high carbon fuel within the state of California, for example, you actually have to buy carbon credits to offset the that distribution. And so to create carbon credits, you have to distribute low carbon fuels. And so there's a market that's been created. Um, and so if you distribute hydrogen or biofuels or electricity, you create carbon credits that then can be sold to the likes of the oil and gas industry. Right. So it's a it's an incentive to to build out the cleaner future more quickly to get the oil companies who have tons of money to uh, put some money back into the system to uh, make that work. Um, well, it's an interesting uh, situation in that uh, the utility companies t are standing to benefit greatly because of the rollout to electric uh, vehicles and more electricity uh, within instead of um, instead of petrochemicals. Um, Correct. Do you see a boom in the utilities in the coming future, or is it going to be kind of balanced against the fact that more people have rooftop solar, which will uh, kind of reduce the utilities uh, monopoly? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good question, Matt. I mean, I think we are going to see more, um, you know, producer slash consumers. So, um, you know, individuals and businesses that actually not only consume electricity, but all also produce their own. I, I still think there's a place for the grid for the foreseeable future is certainly my lifetime. Um, but there's so much more so much electrification going on that uh, you have to imagine that um, people are going to 
uh, produce their own electricity, you know, especially with solar and perhaps wind. Um, and of course, that's renewable based. So um, and then the cost of energy storage is going down. So I think it's it's pretty safe to assume that, you know, we're going to find a, um, you know, a situation where um, more people are producing their electricity that they're consuming as opposed to getting it from the, the utility. But I also believe that there's going to be so much more demand from, uh, you know, people needing more electricity through electrification programs, not only with transportation, that utilities are not going away either, right? Right. Well, one uh, interesting development uh, I saw recently is a car being developed that's a purely solar car that will run off of its own solar panels. I think it's called uh, Acera or something. I, have you seen that one? I haven't seen that one, but you know, I mentioned it early on in the program. Um, my background: I worked at a company called Aerovironment, and prior to my joining, uh, Aerovironment built a, a prototype of a solar car called the Sun Racer, uh, kind of famous in certain circles. But uh, yeah, that concept has been around, and and I, I I can't claim to be an expert in that area, but you have to imagine that um, as the efficiency of solar cells improves and more materials are getting lighter um and any the you know you you could imagine a time when you could produce enough electricity to to uh propel a vehicle i i think we're still a ways uh from that actually happening <laughs> but based on uh, that the type of performance we expect from cars uh you know from a normal consumer or the average consumer but uh but it is pretty cool to imagine for sure well it's it's a very small car i've seen the pictures of it and it is uh it's not it's not going to replace your truck or suv or whatever it's two people uh but it it's uh it's putting a marker out there though you do see uh some of the uh, electric car companies i believe are putting solar arrays on their cars to kind of as a supplement right yes yeah for sure i've seen that for sure where you um you know it can power say if you're just sitting in your car um and you're not moving it's not it's not gonna build, produce enough electricity to you know move uh the vehicle um or be the you know the 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 actual like traction part of the vehicle, but uh, but it certainly can power some of the ancillary services within the car, right? Whether it's you know charging your battery or or keeping uh, your AC and climate on, or or the onboard computers and other things that you might use while you're sitting in the car um, and not have to use your the main battery. Um, I, I I believe that's uh, that's certainly an area that that a number of of the automakers have gone down. And, and as I said, I think as those solar cells get um, more and more efficient, uh, cheaper and cheaper and, um, and materials uh, science improves around those areas where we could see more and more body components of a vehicle get replaced and eventually, you know, start producing electricity for actual movement of the vehicle, as you, as you mentioned in that one example. Well, it's a fascinating area and it's moving so fast. Uh, we've got a lot to, to talk about. And um, Jordan, uh, one of those things I'm going to talk to you when we get back from the break is, is the changing market and where do you see this going um, in the future? So you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern and I've got Jordan Raymer, CEO of EV Connect on the program. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to A Climate Change, a Smart Matter, and I'm back with Jordan Raymer, CEO of EV Connect. And Jordan, uh, before the break, we we're talking about the changing market, such a dynamic marketplace, uh, so many different players. And uh, I mean, it's it's uh, turning kind of a an established market on its head in terms of the us getting our energy from gas stations and now getting it from so many varied sources. Uh, where do you see this moving? In the next uh, few years, five years, ten years, twenty years, where 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 do you see this headed? Yeah, so I mean, I think in the twenty-year time frame, Matt, that you know, we're we're going to see certainly consolidation and and a move more toward you know just a few players as we do in mo- most industries. But I think what's most interesting is what's going to happen between now and the next twenty years. And and so what I, what we're seeing in the next say five years or 10 years is just more players entering the market, you know, especially on the hardware side, uh, players from all over the world who have been making charging infrastructure in their, their home markets, looking to enter the US um, as a as a pretty robust market for electric vehicles. The, the one caveat to that, which I think, you know, is, is certainly, you know, something that we're keeping our eye on is that the, the, um, Inflation Reduction Act bill um, that that recently passed that that has mostly climate related um, uh, provisions uh, d- did a lot to you know incent the market I would say toward um, moving toward electrification of transportation um, but one of the things that it did do is that it also has a lot of Build America provisions. And so, you know, players coming from charging station manufacturers and even automakers that are producing cars outside of the U.S. Uh, will will not um, will not be able to take advantage of those incentives. So, um, although we're seeing a lot of new entrants into the market, you know, how they end up uh, performing and if they're able to be viable um, in over the next few years by not being able to take advantage of some of those incentives, I think will certainly be interesting to see. Um, I think it's working with what um, you know Congress was trying to do with those provisions because many of them are building um, American manufacturing facilities and looking to you know be uh, you know having American sourced product using American labor uh, and so. We'll see, but I think over time that will certainly create some consolidation. With all of that said, I think at the end of the day, um, the most important thing that we need to do to improve uh, adoption of EVs and get more people into EVs is the the experience, right? They they ha- we have to be able to make it so simple um, that uh, it, it it's really not hard for them to to. Uh, to not only buy the vehicle, but drive the vehicle and fuel the vehicle and find fueling infrastructure, uh, regardless of where they live and and their socioeconomic status and uh, all of those things. And so I, I think that's going to be some of the bigger challenges. The Inflation Reduction Act um, started to address many of those things by putting in incentives for um, people to buy EVs. Um, it needs to be American sourced EVs, uh, but it also needs to, you know, you have to meet certain um, uh, income thresholds in order to uh, receive the incentive. And so, you know, Congress and, and our lawmakers have been thinking through a lot of those those things that you mentioned, Matt. 
uh, for, for sure. Well, uh, where do you see your company headed? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of competition in the marketplace. And, and how do you differentiate your, your company to stay ahead of this uh, wave that is uh, riding high and fast? Yeah, I mean, look, we we've been staying very focused on that experience. Uh, you know, we think if we continue to deliver the highest level of service uh, and and providing you know really feature rich and flexible solution for our customers, that that we have the potential to to win and be the best. And and I think we're we're well on our way there. And so that that's really what we're focused on today. Um, you know, we're also focused on globalizing our platform. So. We've, we are already in Australia and New Zealand. Um, we, we work in parts of Europe. Um, we're already in Canada and parts of the Caribbean as well. Uh, but we're spending more and more time helping other parts of the world as well with their um, electrification of transportation goals. Um, because at the end of the day, right, uh, climate change is a global challenge. And, and we really want to be part of the solution uh, for the global market. And so that, that's, that's really what we're, we're doing, uh, improving that experience and thinking about the, the global market. So in terms of the global market, uh, two of the places you didn't mention China and India, uh, pretty big uh, piece of the market. <laughs> uh, any thoughts about going over there? Yeah. I mean, I think for the time being, we've certainly ruled out the Chinese market. It It's pretty closed off for players like us where, uh, you know, they have um, a lot of incentives to keep homegrown um, folks, uh, you know, uh, in, in, uh, in business, so to speak. Uh, so so that, that's a tough one. You know, we've certainly looked at India and, and we do think that there's opportunities there. The dynamics are a little bit different uh, because of the type of transportation that's used there. There aren't uh, nearly as even though the population and the market is quite large, the concentration of what we would consider to be, you know, traditional transportation around light duty vehicles um, the, is very different. The, the vehicles tend to be more, uh, you know, two wheeled or, or scooter type, uh, you know, bicycle or, or rickshaw type transportation, which have um, much lighter uh, power needs. And, and therefore the, just the, the, the distribution of electricity as a fuel is very different and the needs associated with that is very different. Um, and so we, we haven't endeavored to, uh, to make our way there yet, but I think that is certainly a market that we would, um, you know, that we would get to it uh, in the future. Coming back to the U S uh, do you see that you focus most of your energy on places like California and, and maybe uh, parts of the East coast where there's probably higher percentages of EV usage or do you see uh, more opportunity in some areas that are um, kind of the virgin territory where there's lower EV usage, but you know that eventually those areas will come online? Yeah. Yeah. So five years ago, if you asked me that question, I would have answered, yes, California, New York, Northeast, uh, West Coast was where you know we were spending the vast majority of our time, partly because that's where... The incentives were, but partly that's where the vehicles uh, were going. Um, that really has changed a lot. Uh, you know, now you have you know large population centers uh, in Texas, Florida, uh, which have not traditionally been um, you know super um, open to transportation electrification, 
are you know now some of the largest EV markets in the world. Uh, and so uh, there's lots of opportunity for charging infrastructure there. But even outside of those large population centers, I mean, we're operating in uh, 44 U.S. states. Um, and so, you know, it's it's there. There's charging everywhere. There's EVs everywhere now. And um, and I think especially with the Inflation Reduction Act uh, and the infrastructure bill, um, both of which at the federal level are are putting a lot of um incentive and economic growth behind this area, you know, we're going to see that across the country and, and be, you know, much less, uh, you know, a patchwork of, you know, which states or which areas we're investing it in, and it's just going to be everywhere. So in terms of like Tesla, they have their own supercharging stations, uh, and they're a pretty substantial piece of the EV market. Uh, is that a piece of the market that's kind of off uh, your radar or off the uh, the potential for for your services for the most part? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, we 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 certainly support the Tesla vehicles, but uh, Tesla has you know become very vertically integrated, and that's part of their strategy. And and so not only do they make their vehicles, but they also own and operate the charging infrastructure that powers them. And so um, that that charging infrastructure is certainly not what we would, you know, or can't support today under Tesla's business model. Um, that's starting to change a little bit. Tesla has now opened up or has said they're going to open up their charging infrastructure to non-Tesla vehicles. Um, and so we're starting to see, you know, this this idea of a you know completely walled garden uh, approach not necessarily being the best. Um, but you know, for us, it's really much more about all the other vehicles uh, and Tesla, but providing charging infrastructure for everybody, um, regardless of of what car you drive, and making that an accessible and amazing experience. So, uh, you know, it's been a fascinating uh, conversation with you, Jordan. Uh, really wish uh, you all the best. Uh, I wonder, you know, if you have any final words as to where you see all this going and are you optimistic uh, that we're going to get to, uh, you know, an all electrical uh, vehicle experience in the U.S. Uh, in the next 20 years or is it further out than that? No, I mean, I think we're, we're well on our way, Matt. I'm, I'm extremely excited. I mean, many states, um, including New York and California, have um, you know, ruled to, to ban uh, internal combustion vehicles by you know, 2035. And so you're going to see all EV sales in you know, a little more than a decade. Uh, I think it's, it, we're, we're, um, we're targeting 50% of um, you know, all EVs in the U.S. sold by 2030. Um, there's a lot of ground to cover at that point. Uh, but I think the main the main um, stumbling block is going to be more charging infrastructure and AV Connects right there uh, making that happen. And ultimately, we're going to get more infrastructure into the ground and we're going to do it in a way that makes people want to buy more EVs and tell their friends and family to buy more EVs. And, and that's really our goals. Well, uh, it's been great having you on the program. Uh, this is the Climate Change, uh, Matt Mattern, your host, and I had Jordan Raymer, CEO of EV Connect, on. Thanks, Jordan, for being with us, and uh, wish you and your company all the best going forward. Everybody, yeah, th thanks so much, Matt. Yeah, no, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me.